Hey there, everyone. Welcome again to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. This is inspired by the Catechism's reminder that times of renewal in the church are also intense moments of catechesis. So, buckle up, my friends. This is what we got in store here today. Another round, another round of catechesis. You know, we're we're going into a deep dive here, but um, like I advertise, it's a simple teaching, simple teaching, kind of we're working from the ground up. We're working from the ground up. So we've been covering these different simple teachings, just kind of talking about, you know, how the how the heck do we know about God, period? Well, he reveals himself. <laughs> That's what we talked about first. And then who is God at a very basic level of understanding? him? Well, he is all powerful and he is all love. And when does he first kind of manifest himself? Well, that was at creation. You know, that's kind of what we talked about so far here. So today we're going to get a little bit deeper into to who God is, kind of a little bit of a deeper perspective on, on you know, if God is almighty and he is also love, uh, well, what the heck does that mean to be love? So we're going to get into the foundations of the Trinity. Um, the biblical foundations of the Trinity. And again, you know, this is, I'm not doing a college course here. This is just kind of a, a basic little thing here. So, but it's good. You know, a lot of times we don't think about these things. Do you know why we believe in the Trinity? Well, it's because there's the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son in, in the Bible. It's like, yes, there is. But, you know, where does that teaching come from? You know, it doesn't come from nowhere. There's Old Testament roots. There's that New Testament uh, conclusions, you know, not everyone believes in the Trinity, and especially back in the early church, there were all kinds of weird groups going on. And even today, today we have a lot of quasi Christian groups who don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, they might baptize, they might do this and that and the other, but but they don't. Um, so just to give some witnesses, or rather some examples of people who don't believe in the Trinity, even though we kind of say, oh yeah, you're you're a Christian, you like Jesus. Well, we can think of Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they don't believe that there are three persons in the Godhead. They do not. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? Um, they believe that there is one God, and that one God had a special relationship with his Jesus character, who is our Savior, but he's not God. Uh, there are also Unitarians, and they, they focus so much on the unity of God, just as we do, but they do so at the exclusion of of the eternal community of love that is the Trinity. Uh, we think of Mormons, uh, Mormons, the Church of Latter-day Saints. Uh, they don't believe in all the Trinity. They baptize. In fact, they'll baptize you, whether you know it or not. They do. What's the word I'm looking for? They'll they'll, they'll baptize someone else on behalf of you, and uh, you get the benefit of that. So that's why they they benefit. Excuse me. They they do all of these genealogical records so that they can go backwards in time and get people baptized. It's kind of interesting. But the baptism is not our baptism. We don't we don't recognize their baptism. So if someone came to the Catholic Church and they said, Hey, you know, oh yeah, sure, I'm Christian, I'm I'm Mormon or I'm Unitarian or I'm Jehovah's Witnesses, we would say, Well, okay, so you believed in God. You didn't believe in the Trinity as we understand it. So when you baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen, you may have used those words, those names even, but you had a a deeply lacking understanding of the trinities and therefore we wouldn't recognize their baptism isn't that crazy uh isn't it sad isn't it sad that people have fallen away from the truth and the reason is is because you know christ the bible 
talks about the Trinity, but it doesn't give us this just the straight up doctrine, just the straight up teaching. It's it's there, but it's the that's not the Bible. The Bible is not a catechism. It doesn't give us doctrine as spelled out as as we like to have, and as we share with with our kids and with our uh, with those coming into the church. So here we're going to dive on in here. So let's begin with the prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you. Heavenly Son, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we praise you. Trinity, one God, three divine persons, uh, united forever in this, this bond of love, uh, each one loving the other and pouring out the life, the divine life for the other, receiving the divine life from the others and, and continue to pour it back out into the others from all eternity. And you invite us into that union. You invite us into that dynamism of love. And we praise you for that, God. We we thank you. So we ask that you, you guide us here through this catechesis here, through this teaching. Please draw us in deeper. Help us to know who you are. Help us to respond to your invitation to live in this love to live in this Trinitarian love, to be absorbed into this, this dynamic community of love so that we can, with our brothers and sisters here on earth, participate in your divinity. Come Holy Spirit. Come, 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 come. All right. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, amen. Well, very good. Just a quick little recap. I kind of already gave a little summary of of the past little episodes. Um, you know, God is having the initiative with all this revelation, and our and our responsibility, our duty, our honor is just to receive. You know, um, God reveals Himself, and without that, we don't know God because God is so far beyond us. You know, an ant can't know a human being, uh, and a human being can't know God. Until God says, by the way, here I am. And that's what we call revelation. He, he says, I'm revealing myself to you. This is who I am. And we just receive it. We have an open arms to this. So that's the first episode. The second one, we talked about the two principal attributes that God has. And that's his, his beyondness, his otherness. And then also his love, his goodness, his goodness, which just pours out over itself. And as that pouring out is what we know to be love. Um, what is lovable is good. And that's kind of the definition of goodness. It's, it's lovability, the ability, uh, the worthiness of, of love. And then the third time we talked about creation. What does that mean? You know, God moved from all eternity to create. That was his first historic act, uh, creating history. Um, so we see his, we can know of him as a creative power, uh, as a rational being goodness uh, there's even intimacy that we see in the creation uh, and then he's creating us for community and therefore we kind of think that well he's probably coming from community and that's where we are today just kind of a little introduction here before we get into the scripture side now, again you know the scripture is not going to be too deep i'm just going to do a little survey of where the roots of the trinity come from the old testament and then kind of where it's really brought to full attention in the New Testament. Uh, before that, just a little introduction. You know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. <laughs> the word Trinity is not in the Bible. You know, the people in the Church of uh, the Church of Christ, they believe in the Trinity, I think, and they really don't use the word Trinity. Why don't they use the word Trinity? Because they don't believe in using 
philosophical words or or creations or linguistic creations to describe what God has already described in the Bible. Um, we do, you know, we, we don't mind coming up with words to describe reality, not coming up with words, but just having those words and then describing reality, the divine reality with that. Sometimes we've got to create some words, you know, <laughs> um, like to Trinity would be a great example. You know, it's not in the Bible. It didn't really exist until the, the early third century with this man named Tertullian. Um, Tertullian wasn't even a saint. He was a bit of a radical fella, but, but he had a, just an, a keen intelligence and, and really brought the faith to, to the forefront, uh, uh, in a really profound way. He had a lot of courage. And so he was always just kind of being a witness to the public of the truth of Christ and God. And then also just deeply thinking about these things. And so he was trying to describe this relationship of these three persons and the one Godhead and he used the word Trinity. So that's where we, we get that word from him. And we did not throw that out at all. Um, it was passed down in the church one generation to the next. Um, but it really wasn't clarified until it was it was under attack. And so um, being under attack, the, the bishops got together in the year 325 at the Council of Nicaea. And there they said, hey, you know what? Yeah, we do believe in a trinity. And this is what we mean by trinity, that there are three divine persons in the one singular Godhead, you know, so this is, this is the Trinity and there were other things. And it was really kind of looking at who is Jesus Christ that council was. And we'll talk about that in a future episode, but here, you know, it's just simple enough to recognize early third century Tertullian coined the third term Trinity. Um, that word tri is three and then the unity Trinity, you know, Trinity. So it's three in one. And then that was really brought to clarity at the Council of Nicaea in 325, you know, about 100 years later. Um, but it had to be brought to clarity. Before then, it was not clear. It was cloudy. It was cloudy. You know, it doesn't spell it out so directly in the Bible. It's got a lot of hints, but it doesn't spell it out so clearly. Like I said, it's cloudy. But let's recognize that, you know, clouds have real shape. You know, when there's a big old storm coming in, there's even a, a deeper form to those clouds. And it's really pretty to see that those storms roll in, can be at least. So first off, we're going to hit on the Old Testament here, then the New Testament. So at the in the Old Testament, the one thing I really want to hit, because it's hit really hard in the Old Testament, is that God is one. This is a key part of the Trinity, that God is one. And you say, well, I thought you were going to hit on the part where it's three. I thought everyone kind of believes that God is one. Well, it was not the case. You know, in these ancient times, everyone believed in multiple gods. And it was a novelty among the Jewish people to believe that there was only one God. You know, there's no tree God. There's no sun God. There's no moon God. There is no, no water God. And if you can say there is those gods, well, it's actually one singular God who is the God over all heaven, sky, earth, water, wind, fire, tree, you know, walrus, you know, whatever it is. He's the God of it all. And that's radical, radical, radically different than all of these other beliefs of that time. Think of the multiple Roman gods, multiple Greek gods, the multiple, uh, all these ancient Mesopotamian gods. Just, no, they always believed in multiple gods and it was the Jewish people who 
brought clarity to the world that there is one God. And so kind of to capture this, there is this one fundamental profession of faith. Uh, we find this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It's called the Shema, which, uh, Shema prayer, which is the Hebrew word for, for listen, hear. And it's kind of repeated throughout scripture in all kinds of different ways. They had, I mean, this was like a profession of faith that they had to repeat, not just on their Sabbath day, but like every day, you know, this is what they did when they, when they woke up and this is what is spoken there here. O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord alone. That's sometimes there's different translations here. O Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. And so, okay, so all this teaching about the unity of God is rooted right there. There's only one God. You have to deny all these other gods because they don't exist. They're not real. You know, they might be shadows only in the imagination of some of these people, but it, they're, they're actually shadows of the one true God. And he provides himself through all the trees, through the water, through the sky, through the fire. And all these just are, are, are giving witness to his primacy and his power and his beauty and his goodness. So the Trinity doctrine is rooted here in its unitive dimension, in its unity, in its unity. So that is unshakable. And it's repeated again a bunch of different times in the Old Testament. We're not going to go through those, but but it's there. And so now that we have this unity just firmly established, there there are the Jewish people are repeating this every day. Hero Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord alone. There's no other gods. Now let's look for some signs that um, there was a little bit more to God than just his unity. The unity is fundamental. It's it's essential. It is glorious. Uh, there's no, you know, truth of God without his unity. But there's more to it. And this is kind of the fulfillment of this revelation. But before we get to the fulfillment, we get the hints of this fulfillment. Yes, God is one. But we're going to see that he there's an there's a trinity there's a tri dimension there's a threeness to this one God. We get this in creation. There was a speaker and there was a word, and this created everything. In the beginning was the word. We hear in the beginning of John, the word was with God, and the word was God. That's the New Testament. But this is what we hear in the in, in chapter one of Genesis. Let there be light. And this word came out from a voice. There was a speaker and there was a word. And this word had power and light came forth. So there's a speaker. There's a word. Um, there's also this 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 uh, just primordial breeze or breath over the water. Um, the word breeze or breath is actually the same Hebrew word. Ruah, ruah. So the ruah. This divine element came over this, this chaotic water. We don't believe that the world was created from a chaotic existence. It was created from nothing. But this was kind of just this ancient way of describing nothingness. And so there's the speaker, there's the voice, there's the word, and then there's this, this ruah, this breath, this, this breeze that hovered over the waters. And that's how <laughs> creation happened. Also there in Genesis, now the second chapter. Well, no, this is the first chapter still. Let us make man in our image. The crazy thing is that the speaker is plural. God doesn't say, let me make man in my image. He says, let us make man in our image. 
Uh, you know, there can be some people who say that maybe he was talking with the angels or something like that. But, you know, looking backwards now, after we believe in the Trinity, it's like, whoa, that's super crazy. Amazing. It's right there. The first chapter of Genesis right there in the beginning of the Bible. Like, how can we not see the Trinity in this? So that's super cool. Let us make man in our image and likeness. You know, this is we rep- we Human beings, you know, the first human beings, Adam and Eve, Adam wasn't complete until Eve was there because it was not good for man to be alone, God said. And why is that the case? Because man was created in and for community. That original community was with God, but it's also meant to be a human community. And so Eve came forth from his side. We are images of the divine community, this community of love. We move forward to Genesis 18. You know, there's an interesting little scene. Um, there's <laughs> there's Abram. And Abram's there. And he's doing his mind and his business. And there is a visit from three people. It's a unique divine visitation here. Why is it divine visitation? Because it gives the promise that Sarah will bear a child. And this was in great doubt by Abraham. What does Abraham do to have children? Well, he goes and he sleeps with his his wife's servant. Um, These are strategies that don't work. But these visitors are telling Sarah, or through Abraham, they're prophesying that Sarah will have a child. And then this amazing thing is that Abraham tells these three visitors... He addresses them as my Lord in the singular. He talks to these three in the singular, my Lord, come on in. Let us prepare bread and let us prepare a a goat for you, a kid. So there's a threeness there and there's also the singularity. Abraham addresses them in the singular, my Lord. And later on, we, we see pretty profoundly that these are divine visitors too, because what happens in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's crazy. So anyways, the third example that I will give, uh, maybe not even an example, but it's uh, it's a witness. In the Old Testament, there are numerous accounts of the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. It's a prophetic reality. It's, it's an anointing. When there's an anointing, the Spirit of the Lord is poured forth. Uh, a lot of times when they're talking about a prophet, the Spirit of the Lord is the one who speaks. Uh, another of these divine figures that is at least godlike or associated with God, yet there's kind of some mystery wrapped up around that, is the angel of God. The angel of God comes forth. A lot of times it's very clear it's a messenger, but other times it's not totally clear. And... Um, it's like you, this this angel, angel means messenger, by the way. Let, let's be clear about that from the Greek, angelos. Uh, it means messenger. And so sometimes it's an angelic being in the sense of, you know, the winged figure, <laughs> the great defender of, of, you know, God's holiness. But then also there's times where it's just like, you know, this angel of God is, is God, the way that the human beings react to them. Also wisdom is personified as a woman. It's not just a, an idea or a virtue or a, a, a bank of wisdom. 
No, it's personified as a as a woman, Lady Wisdom. I had a professor in in seminary who was oh he he loved Lady Wisdom. He probably it just was so funny. He loved her so much, and he had these stories of Lady Wisdom, and it's just like oh my gosh, you're you're totally in love with Lady Wisdom, and who can blame him? You know if she is somehow like snatched up in God, or related with God, or associated with God, or wrapped up in God, and and it just, it has something more than a created being to it, this, this divine wisdom. And then finally, um, there's this son of God character dancing in the fire um, where Daniel and his companions were thrown into. And the fire was there and they heated up that furnace way crazy hot, but because of their faith, they, they survived. God granted them the miracle that the flames would not, not burn them and the heat would not touch them. And the people observed that there was inside of the furnace with these three, one as the son of God. Someone like the son of God. Son of God is a huge phrase in the New Testament. So we can be like, whoa, 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 son of God in the New Testament. And uh, there's also a phrase son of God in the Old Testament. That's pretty significant. So really what I want to highlight from this last part is that or really from all this Old Testament part, is that there are divine figures figuring the future revelation of the Trinity. Then there's actual divine figures, which seem to be uniquely associated with, with God's very presence and his very, very person. I don't want to use that word because they didn't know at the time that there were multiple persons and individual substance of rational nature in God. They only thought there was one. They just didn't quite realize it, but we now know there's three. So I hesitate to say that, but there, there's something about the individuality of God that is wrapped up in these, these figures, the spirit of the Lord, the angel of God, personified wisdom, lady wisdom, and the son of God. So, you know, let's make sure that we recognize that the Old Testament had some foundations for the Trinity. <laughs> so that's awesome. Uh, here in the New Testament, you know, we get some pretty clear references. Uh, there's just no doubt about it. And it begins right there from, you know, the first couple chapters of Luke at the Annunciation. So a messenger comes from God telling of the Son and through the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, Jesus comes into the world. There's a conception of the eternal son of God. So there it is. There's the father's initiative giving of the son by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're all kind of wrapped up in there. Father, son, Holy Spirit. Secondly, the baptism of Jesus. Or I guess the bat, yeah. So the baptism of Jesus, you know, there's the son. There's the voice from heaven that calls him son. Behold, this is my son. And then the dove representing the Holy Spirit descends upon him. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, very clearly right there. Uh, and then the Son is driven by the Holy Spirit into the desert and prays to the Father. These three are wrapped up once more. In the transfiguration, Jesus is revealed in his glory. So there's the Son revealed in glory. Uh, there's the voice of the Father again. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. And then this cloud of glory, this bright cloud, which is a reference to the Old Testament Shekinah, which is the glory of God that would sometimes um, come and be the visible, the visible presence of God. 
uh, especially in dwelling in the, the tabernacle, the tent of dwelling, the tent of encounter, the tent of presence. So as this bright cloud, the Shekinah descends, it's like, oh my gosh, there's the Holy Spirit too. So Father, Son, and Spirit at the transfiguration, at the crucifixion. What does Jesus say? The Son says, into your hands, he's talking to the Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. He has a spirit. He doesn't say soul here. He says spirit, spirit. Um, and in the Old Testament, that breath, that breeze, the spirit is always the Ruah, the Ruah. And for, for a human being, um, remember that God created man through breathing into him and giving him the breath of life. Well, it's Jesus's breath of life, this eternal life, which has got to be the spirit. The Holy Spirit is now breathed out upon the church ultimately. And that's maximized, not maximized, but uh, um, visibly brought to fulfillment in Pentecost. So the crucifixion also gives witness to the Trinity. Jesus rose again, praise the Lord. And as he is about ready to ascend to the Father, he says, go out and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't say baptize in my name. He doesn't say baptize in the one true God, the Father Almighty, who, of whom I'm a mere son. I'm not the divine son. No, he says baptize in all their names equally. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So that's you know just a quick little summary of some of the key, key, key New Testament verses, or rather gospel verses. St. Paul gives great witness to this. Uh, in Galatians chapter 4, he says, God sent forth his Son. Sent forth from where, we could ask? Well, from heaven, you know, he's from eternity. God sent forth his Son to redeem those who are under the law. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son. Okay, again, sent from where? Sent from where? You know, what's going on here? Well, sent again from heaven, from eternity. Sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So I just love that there's the Father, there's the Son, and the Spirit there. Just all wrapped up in a couple verses. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. St. Paul, again, says in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 14, just really beautiful. And we have this at the beginning of Mass. And there's a, it's one of the options for the, the initial greeting of the people. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is saying, hey, you know, that, that goodness of the divine trinity, y'all have it. Y'all have it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It could have been sufficient just to say one of those things. That would have been awesome. But St. Paul's like, hey, guess what? These three beings, they all got the goodness. And I want you to have a little bit of this goodness. And I'm saying this to highlight that goodness, the eternal divine goodness flows from each one of these, but it's also together. So it gives a, it gives a little testimony of the presence of, of God in that. So again, you know, the Bible does not spell it out. The Bible does not spell it out. Um, it just kind of highlights what's going on. It highlights that there is certainly good reason to believe that there's a Trinity, but there is, there's got to be more. There's got to be a lot of thought around it. There's got to be some understanding of what's, what's going on. You know, we, we, uh, today that I'm recording is the feast day of St. Irenaeus of Lyon. 
and you know he's writing in the in the one hundreds, uh, mid to late one hundreds, and you know he's talking. He's trying to highlight the fact that there is a truth and there's a way to know that truth. And there's some people who are speaking errors. And the reason that they're in error is because they're not following the way of truth. And he highlights three principal things. The first is scripture. We just talked about that, which is essential. And he says, if it's not in scripture, you know, if scripture's not pointing to it, don't believe it. Secondly, he talks about the tradition and he makes a seamless chain of apostolic succession. You know, the apostles gave their power to this guy, to this guy, to this guy, all the way up to that current day. And he says, hey, look, this is what we call the tradition. You know, I knew Polycarp who knew John, and I hunted down everything that I could that John left to these people. I talked with all the old folks, and they told me the stories that John told them. And, you know, this is... This is the tradition that we follow. And then he talked about a third dimension, the magisterium. He said there is a teaching authority in the church, and we don't have the the freedom to go against the, the, the format of God's gift of truth. And the God and God gave the format of the gift of truth through these bishops. And what they all teach together is to be held to be the truth. And should someone teach to the contrary, we hold that to be not true. At least it's not confirmed by by revelation. But what the bishops teach together, we can be sure that that is firmly the truth. That is firmly based on the truth. So that's pretty awesome. Um, St. Irenaeus, pray for us. My brothers and sisters, please click like, subscribe, do whatever you need to do to keep on listening and following along. Uh, I love doing this. This is a simple thing. You know, Trinity's something that we we profess every Sunday, right? But there's, there's beautiful scriptural tr- background to this. And in the future, we'll continue to highlight that and give more bones to it through the tradition because it was something that was fought for. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses who deny the Trinity and the, deny the, the divinity of Jesus, you know, they're not a new group. They're, they're ancient. Uh, they're ancient, ancient, ancient. They're not as ancient as Christianity, but just like 100 years later, uh, there they were. Um, so we're going to get to that one day. So, brothers and sisters, appreciate you a bunch. God bless you. Pray for me because Lord knows I do need it. And talk to you soon. Bye.